there was uh, a time in uh, my early life that I can remember just really feeling alone and disconnected and worthless. But then I heard the message of Christ and I experienced the love and acceptance of God our Father. And since then, I have found belonging and purpose. Do you have a story like that? Can you tell your story in a sentence, in a minute? That's something that we encourage people to do all around the world every day. Often when we talk to somebody who doesn't have a story like that, uh, we are given an opportunity to tell God's story. And God's story would look something like this. I believe we live in a broken world. I don't think that's controversial. We see war, um, shootings, drugs, conflict in our politics. I don't think that's how God intended our life to be. God intended us to live in a relationship of love, a perfect relationship with him and with those around us, the vertical and the horizontal. But we are the ones who walked away and we created a separation. We call that sin. We can't get back in that relationship with God and without that relationship, we can't hope to have good relationships with others. But God doesn't want this to be this case. And he provided a solution by sending Jesus. Jesus, God the Son, came of his own free will, lived a perfect life without sin, died on the cross for our sins, and was raised, defeating death itself. In doing this, he provides the only door out of brokenness and into a right relationship with God. How do we walk through that door? We walk through that door by repenting and believing the message of Jesus, that he was who he said he was, and he did what the Bible says he did. As we believe, Jesus becomes king of our life. We become new creations and children of God. And we are able to live in God's heart in a right relationship with him and others. Some of us are called then to go back into brokenness and share this good news with the people around us. There's really two types of people in the world. Those who still find themselves in brokenness and are trying all sorts of things to get out. Fame, money, um, drugs, alcohol, whatever it is, they, find, they try to leave this world, but that just takes them further away from God's perfect plan. And those of us who have found Christ, who have Christ in our heart, have reconciled, have been reconciled to the Father's heart and can now live in a right relationship with Him. Like I said, this simple message is a, is, is a message that has been given all over the world. 
I think this is a message that all of us in this room ought to be prepared to give to those around us in our homes, our schools, at work, as we're going about our day. And I think that as you see um, what Scripture says, I think you'll agree with me. At the basis of it, the main point of this sermon today is that God is a God of mission. He is a God on mission, and we are a people with a mission. God is a God of mission. Uh, As we see, um, if you could go two more, uh, here's some, some quotes Um, missiologist Ralph Winter points out that the Bible is not the basis of missions. We often think that. We often say, well, why do you do missions? Well, I do missions because the Bible tells me to. But the Bible isn't the basis of mission. As we look, we will see that mission is the basis of the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, God is a God of mission. He is a missionary God. Chris Anderson, a pastor, um, also says this. Uh, Missions isn't an addendum. It's not something that you just staple onto your normal Christian life. It is the very heart of our life because it is at the very heart of God. Kevin DeYoung uh, uh, comments on missionaries. At the the, um, most basic, a missionary is a sent one. By the way, the word missionary doesn't show up in Scripture. You're not going to find that in Scripture. The word most often used for missionaries in Scripture is apostle. Now, we don't mean the capital A apostle like the leaders of the church, although the reason they were leaders of the church is because they brought this message to others. But little a apostles are what the missionaries are, sent ones. That's where we get the, that's where we get the word post, post office, post, send. Apostle is a sent one. And that's what the word missions entails. A great theologian has also been quoted as saying uh, that we are missions, ministers and missionaries to all those in our life. You know, when we think about Revelation that great and glorious day when God's kingdom is is experienced on earth and we then go and and spend eternity with him, uh, we we see that the nations are gathered at his footsteps. Well, how do we get to that point? That's, That's the image at the end. How do we get there? Well, we see all the way back in Genesis that God is calling people to himself, that he is calling people to himself to send them out to others. Noah, Abraham, Moses, fast forward to the the New Testament, Paul, Barnabas, Timothy, Apollos. God is a God of missions. I'd like us to um, look at a passage in um, Psalms, Psalm 96, and Jim Hessen is going to read that. For us. Hear the word of the Lord. 
O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Do you imagine that this new song is a sad song? Is this, is, this, is this a dirge that we're being told to sing? No, it's a song of joy. It's a song of praise. It says in the first verse three times, sing, sing, sing. Bless his name. Going from blessing his name, the next command is to tell others. Don't store it up inside your heart, but to tell others this great news. Who are we to tell? We're to declare it among the nations. What are we to tell? We're to talk about God. We're not called to to promote our church. We're not called to promote Christendom. We're not... not We're not sent out to defend Christianity. We're sent to declare the mighty works of God. As we look in this passage, it even he even talks about the uh, in verses uh, five and six, the gods of the people. We go to a lot of countries where the gods of the people seem. Mighty, powerful, all-encompassing. How could I possibly go against the God of my people, the God of my parents and my grandparents? Well, what does, what does Psalm tell us? This Psalm tells us that they are worthless idols, unable to do anything in the, in the, in the sight of God, the true God, the one God. The psalmist here, as he's telling us um, to go and to proclaim, he links God, this message of God with his glory, his power, his works. Also, his creation, as you notice. And uh, even even in um, verses 11 and, and towards the end, we see that the creation itself is declaring his good news. He also 
encourages us to let the nations know that a judgment is coming. God is a God of judgment, but his judgment is fair, it is equitable, and it will be done in righteousness. There's uh, overlap in the, from this uh, psalm to one of the more famous missions passages, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. In this, we're given our great commission. And this great commission is not just for the people who use a passport to go overseas and speak a foreign language and dress in funny clothes or whatever. This great commission is given to all. And in it, Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus has authority. He claims the authority that he has, and he gives it to us as we are sent. There's an unfortunate artifact of, of translation in the English Bible, and this is actually in a number of Bibles around the world, it looks like the command in this passage is to go. But that is not the command in the original language. The original language is make disciples, disciplize, if you will, as you are going. As you are going about your day, as you are going from home to somewhere else, as you are going, all y'all make disciples. This translation has led many people to think that there's a that 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 missions is something that happens once you cross the border. Well, in some ways this is true. Missions does happen when you cross the border. But there are borders in our own families, generational borders, cultural borders. There are <laughs> there are borders within our own neighborhoods these days. The nations live among us. All you all, go make disciples. What are we to do when we make disciples? We're to teach them to know the commands of Christ. It says observe here. Not the passive watching TV observe, but observe like we observe a holiday. Observe all that Christ has committed. How can we do that if we don't know our scripture? How can we, how can we share with others and teach others if... We haven't learned ourselves. Teach them to know, not just up here, but to obey the commands of Christ. And we are to baptize them into the Holy Trinity. And we don't do this alone. Jesus is with us. If you flip over to Acts 1, we see where we are to do this, in case it isn't clear already, in Acts 1.8, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. They lived in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is their home base. In Judea, this is the area around Collin County, if you will, North Texas. Samaria was both near to them but a foreign culture. So, I don't know, maybe Oklahoma. 
Hij wel. <laughs> Into the very ends of the earth. Did he leave anything out in our call? If we don't feel like going somewhere, if we're not good at language, if, our, if, we, if we know that our call and our wiring from God is to work in business, is to have a vocation, does this mean that this doesn't apply to us? No. God is a God of mission. As we saw this, we saw that God the Father is a sending God. He is a God with a plan. He is a God with a mission. God the Son is a sent one in, in his incarnation most specifically. But Jesus was the greatest missionary to ever walk the earth. And in this passage, we see that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit himself. Believers are empowered by the Holy Spirit and the lost are convicted by him. The Trinity working together as a missionary God. God is also on mission. The, the length of time that we have been uh, living in the church age, 2,000 years now, can make it seem like, is God doing anything? What's going on? This is a war. Are we even winning it? How do we know? Well, there's an interesting stat, some interesting stats I can bring to bear on this. The estimated world population today is a little over 7 billion. <clears throat> it's interesting that the median age is about 29 years old. Half of the world is youth. If we're not reaching every nation and every generation, I've heard that somewhere before too, uh, we're missing the point. It's challenging when you're doing statistics on missions or the global church. What do you, who do you count? Who do you not count? Some stats will use Christians. Other stats will not. Are, even, are all evangelicals believers? Are all believers evangelicals? Uh, we, run into, we run into statistical challenges all the time. So I give you these stats with that caveat. But um, I will say, in general, when we talk about the global church, we do distinguish between Christian, which we often put in quotes and say they call themselves Christian, and believers or Christ followers. It's estimated that there's somewhere between 500 and 750 million believers in the world. If you do the math, in the first century... There was there is an estimated one believer for every 350, 360 people. Today, that's one in ten. God hasn't been distracted from building his church. He is making progress, and this war is being won, and we know that it will be won ultimately. Right. We are making progress. In fact, the persecuted church grows at a significantly quicker pace than it does in the West. One of the things that we have seen time and time again is when government or culture puts pressure on the church, the church grows. Perhaps one of the challenges that we have faced in the West 
is a lack of that. And I'm not, I'm not saying that we should pray for persecution. That's not what we want to do. But when, I think it's safe to say that, when persecution comes to our shores, um, that doesn't mean we've lost. It can actually be a great time of hope for us. But it will, be a, it will be a time that we need to know what we're doing. God is a God of mission. He is on mission. And we are a people with a mission. There is a great need still today. One out of every three people on earth has never heard the name of Jesus. They have no churches in their neighborhoods, no Bible in their language, and they don't even know another Christian that they can go and ask questions. Or if they do, that Christian may not have beliefs that we would consider to be orthodox or rightly praising. If you were to think of the world in, represented in 10 people, that's the next slide. One, oh, I got my handy little... One-tenth of the world would be believers. Two-tenths, another 20%, would be uh, nominal Christians. They consider themselves to be Christians, but we don't see evidence of belief in their lives. 40% have access, daily access to Scripture, to churches. They can drive by and get churches. By the way, a lot of that 40% lives here. A lot of that 40% lives on college campuses. But there's a whole 30% of the world, the unreached, that because of government, culture, religion, isolation, have no access. This is the heartbeat of, of my organization, and this is where I do my, most of my work, is in these difficult-to-reach places among the unreached. <laughs> Most of the people that live in this unreached 30% live within a window called the 1040 window. We call it the 1040 window because it goes from 40 degrees north to 10 degrees south. 88% of the unreached live in these countries. Now, many of those are not holiday vacation spots of the world. Many of those don't show up or show up more often in breaking news than they do in travel news. But this is where the need is greatest. I wish I could say that the church is bringing all possible resources to bear in this area. But from the standpoint of personnel, we see that... 5% of full-time Christian workers are going to the 30% of the world that may need them the most. If you were to look at missionaries, and this is a challenging one, but missionaries, we may be talking about 13,000, maybe less than that, people to reach 2.3 billion. The Bible tells us the need is great. The harvest is great. But the laborers are few. 
if we look for just a moment, and I promise I won't spend a lot of time on this, but on financial, annual income of Christians is $42 trillion. Now, that includes anybody who would call themselves a Christian. Evangelicals may be $7 trillion. Annual given to all Christian causes, $700 billion. To missions, $45 billion. To unreached missions, $450 million. By comparison, Americans spent more money on costumes for uh, Halloween costumes for their pets last year than we do on unreached missions. There's, we have a little further to go on this. God is on mission, but we are a people with a mission. I have some good news. I'm not alone. Uh, as a representative of Centennial Church in reaching the nations. And I'd like to introduce you to some of the others. Hey, Centennial Church family. We're David and Jenna Bartek. We're on staff with the Collegiate Branch of the Navigators in Nashville, Tennessee. We're at Belmont, Vanderbilt, and Lipscomb Universities. Our mission is to help college students know, treasure, and follow Christ in their whole life. Trusting God that they will graduate and then go into every nook and cranny of society so that they in turn will make disciples who know, treasure, and follow Christ in their whole lives. The college campus is nothing less than a strategic mission field and sending ground. This is a time where college students are really beginning to ask the big questions of life that we all have. And like, who am I and what do I believe? And after college, they get sent into all sorts of careers in different contexts. This is a crucial time to step in with the gospel and the real Jesus. There are a lot of false Jesuses in Nashville, Tennessee. I think of Matt, a junior who I'm investing in right now, who last fall, he was quite content with keeping Jesus in this nice, manageable, non-urgent box that he could just place away in the closet when convenient. Something changed when he started walking in the light with guys in our Bible study about sins that he was struggling with. And suddenly, the real Jesus started to become non-ignorable to him. And I'm constantly being blown away by this intense desire out of nowhere to share Christ with those who are around him. He's going into the radio business soon, and I know he's going to meet people and introduce them to Jesus who I will never meet in this lifetime. Receiving the real gospel of Jesus made him a real disciple living on real mission. That's what we're all about seeing happen. So thank you, Centennial Church, for being on our team, for sending us, and most of all, for praying for us. We really love you guys. We love you guys. Also, give my parents a hug as soon as you see them. Hey, Centennial Church family. That's good morning in Romanian. I'm Michael Daly. Janie is my wife and partner in Isaiah 6 Ministries International. For 27 years, God has given us the privilege of serving in Romania. And we've made contacts across the country from east to west, north to south, with pastors and ministries and uh, men and women of deep faith and great vision who have established church planting ministries in their own cities and villages and towns and in beyond the borders of Romania even. And it has been a great joy and a privilege to be a part of the ministry that they are doing there. And uh, now I have an opportunity to serve in Romania, not only with Isaiah 6, 
but also through East West Ministries because I have become a part of that team uh, this year. And it is the commitment of East West Ministries to come alongside partners in Romania to help them expand their church planting ministry. And it is an opportunity for me to watch the ministry that God has given me for over a quarter of a century to be expanded beyond the time I'll be able to spend in Romania as East West continues to work in partnership with these ministries. And I just ask that you would continue in prayer for me that God will enable me to return to Romania soon and to coordinate and establish the kind of cooperative ministry that East West Ministries wants to do with the partners in Romania. That's good morning in Romania. Hey, I'm Stephen. I'm Genevieve, and we're the Hunts. We're on staff with Global Aid Network, the humanitarian partner of CRU, formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ. Our mission is to express the kindness of Jesus in the toughest places on earth by relieving suffering, restoring dignity, and revealing the eternal hope of Jesus. CRU is the largest missions organization in the world, so GAIN has a huge network of locally embedded Christians in places where humanitarian assistance is necessary. The easiest way to summarize what GAIN does is to say that our ministry is all about their ministry. We help our global partners have effective ministry with the people they want to serve. Yeah, and that's the key. It's all about the people being served. You know, Even though we are a humanitarian aid ministry, our ministry is not about the aid. It's about the people. You know, it's about the kids growing up in some of the driest places imaginable in Africa who spend their childhoods not going to school but searching for water for their families, even though no one in their family has ever tasted clean water in their lives. You know, it's about the widowed refugee woman who shows up at the overcrowded camp, discouraged, angry, and exhausted, and just needs someone who speaks her language, who looks like her, to welcome her, give her a blanket, give her children a stuffed animal, and take the time to learn their names and hear their story. You know, Jesus is clear uh, that loving poor and vulnerable people means caring for their physical needs, not because they are objects of pity who need our compassion, but because they are people filled with God-given dignity who are worthy of our kindness and our sacrifice. And that kindness, you know, relieving people's physical suffering, doing it in such a way that restores their sense of dignity, is so powerful for revealing the hope of Jesus to them. Hey, I'm Steve. Good morning, Centennial Church. Our family is part of East-West, which is a disciple-making ministry working in the spiritually darkest areas of the world and striving to see more people following Jesus every day. East-West orients our ministry activities along the lines that what we see biblically, especially in the Gospels, Acts, Second Timothy. Simply put, multiplication of disciples, making disciples in movements from one generation to the next, and so on. As regional coordinator for the Middle East, I oversee our staff, national partners, ministry projects, and strategic vision in 10 countries. I also serve as global equipping consultant with teams in other parts of the world, most recently Russia, the Balkans, Africa, and Western Europe, helping them assess needs and implement ministry plans. It is our goal to engage our partners, both new Christians and longtime believers, to encourage them in implementing indigenous forms of ministry and church life, empowering them to explore service opportunities and to reach into new areas of their societies. And we entrust them with their ministry expression and God with the ultimate results of our efforts. We want to thank you, our Centennial family, for coming alongside us 
especially while John is traveling. It's been so great to have you help with the kids and around the house. You truly are a blessing. Thank you. And I have good news. We, as a body, are making a great and global impact. Uh, this next slide shows <clears throat> the areas of the world that Centennial Church is reaching already. So, by way of application, what can we do? What can you do as you leave today? Prepare. In prayer and in reading the word, prepare. Be ready to disciplize as you're going around the world. Practice. Practice telling your story and God's story. And invite people to meet Jesus, the people that are in your life. If you want more help on that, there are several of us around that can give you resources. Who do you practice with? Everyone and anywhere you might be. Partner. Partner locally, partner globally, but partner in sending of workers across barriers. Equipping them. And if God calls you for short time, for midterm, for long term, join us. There will be opportunities coming in 2019 to travel to some of the areas I go. If you want to do that, I'd be happy to have you come with me. I know Michael is talking about some uh, opportunities in Romania as well. There are opportunities that go beyond our um, organization as well. And you may be called to do longer-term work, either as a traditional missionary or as a marketplace worker, leveraging the God-given talent, experience, and interests that you have as a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, whatever, in a kingdom-minded and kingdom-focused business overseas. So, practically, get to know your mission partners. We are people, and sometimes it is scary for us to go up and talk to you, um, especially when it comes to matters of financial resources. Um, I haven't met a missionary yet that doesn't need more. Um, please, if you feel God is leading you to invest, find one of us and talk to one of us. Um, one of the stats I've seen that is kind of sad is less than 10% of people around, of people within our churches around the country have been asked by a missionary to be part of their partnership team. We're not looking for charity in most cases. There's time for charity. We're looking for investment in our ministry. We want people to be part of our team as partners. Get to know God's heart and the global need. There's resources online. There's resources that we can uh, make you aware of. Operation World, uh, Joshua Project, Finish the Task, 
There are several websites and books available to you. But get to know the need and God's heart for reaching the lost. And get to know your role. Again, through gifting assessments or through talking to others around you, how might you invest your time, your treasure, and your talents to bring this about? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, It can seem sometimes that the need is so great and we don't know what step to take, but we thank you for telling us to just take a step, to just start with where we are and move out from there. Father, we pray that you, through your spirit, would empower us to reach every nation and every generation as we start here and go everywhere. Amen.